Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. Years ago, I had a startup and we raised seed money and angel money in a series A and and I had a co-founder who was brilliant at it. It takes such a skill to close the deal. We have all these interested angels. I need them to sign the check. Imagine living your normal day and getting your car fueled up on demand. Seriously. Check out LA Startup Refill Fuel and enter code WeRLATech for $10 off. That's Refill Fuel. It's amazing. Literally, you can be anywhere and have your gas totally topped off the tank and not even have to deal with it. No more gas stations. So go to refillfuel.com. That's R E F I L L F U E L.com. Code WeRLATech for $10 off. We could not do this without the community believing in our vision together. We Are LA Tech is independently funded, funded by you, the community. So to support We Are LA Tech, go to patreon.com slash We Are LA Tech. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash We Are LA Tech. Hello, We Are LA Tech listeners. As I'm sure you can tell now for a third time, I am still not Esprit. This is Matt Mayberry from Dopamine Labs the AI neuroscience-backed company helping make apps more addicting, more habit-forming, and more sticky. Today, we have a phenomenal guest who happens to sort of work in the same space that I do. So if you are interested in habits and behavior and neuroscience and artificial intelligence, uh, this is the podcast for you. I am not going to give you too much. I'm just going to pass it off to our guest today. So if Ariel, if you want to introduce yourself, tell the listeners who you are, what you do, where you're from, we can start there. Great. I'm happy to be here, Matt. And yes, um, Smart Spark does indeed deal with how can we use technology to better people's lives by looking into that benevolent hooked model where we make apps more sticky, but use that stickiness. In our case, we use it to help people adhere to what their doctor's orders are. So in particular, we're taking people in recovery and helping them write the story of their own healing. So they participate in an experience where they get what feels like social media nudges that are like a story where they see themselves in their own recovery. They get support from peers and from their counselors and novelty in the form of social media clips and relevant third-party imagery that come at the times and locations that they need support most. Amazing. And what is your role at SmartSpark? So I'm the co-founder and CEO. And I started this company because a couple of years ago I was smoking and I was not exercising. And I'm a designer that's built addicting products for Apple and Disney. And I know a lot about how we can make things sticky. And yet none of the existing trackers or apps could seem to hook me into a daily sort of practice. And, And I think... There are models that work for different personality types, but I became obsessed with this notion of how people get hooked into story in ways that tracking and um, like existing user experiences don't seem to do. So I, and also I'm 
really fascinated by the use of visuals in terms of priming behavioral um, choices in people. So like why when you see a red light, is that more of an impact than seeing the word stop? Um, So there was a study I heard about how they had shown smokers personalized videos that simulated a heart attack, that they had a heart attack and the repercussions on their families and friends and that resulting in over 50% cessation rate permanently. Oh, wow. And I was like, how is that not built to scale? And so I took that and sort of got a great behavioral psychologist at UCLA named Sean Young, who just published a great book called Stick With It. And we set about trying to take this sort of model and build in motivational interviewing, which is where you kind of personalize experiences for people and like neurohacks and how can we use that to help address the outpatient behavioral health market. And the reason we sort of focused on that outpatient behavioral health market is really the path to market because it seems quite difficult to find how to monetize this unless you're like a really exciting company with a great model like Dopamine Labs. I think it's what you guys have found and and existing, building those nudges into existing platforms is really powerful and effective. Um, so we we have, we've been pursuing funding through grant processes and working with the NIH and sort of a slow grow, really trying to measure our outcomes. And we've done pilots with looking at short-term behavior modification for food consumption and cessation of like certain trigger moments and with really exciting results. So this is a really interesting product, and this is something that I think a lot of people are just learning about, which is the idea of behavioral design inside technology and software. Um, Do you think you could talk a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this and maybe what you got your degree in and why or how you made the transition from designing these sticky products at Apple and give an example to merging now into what you do today at SmartSpark? Okay, great. Yeah, I started off um, in the mid nineties building websites. So I've been doing this for a long time and, you know, data always speaks to what's happening. Uh, And it was always very obvious looking at the data at how, if you build feedback loops that brings people back. And so there wasn't a framework that I really could kind of articulate um, like how we develop software to make people want to use it. But I think you, you had mentioned in your, podcast, Nariel's book Hooked is a great sort of framework to be able to establish like these are the norms. And those basically we can say that if you give people personalized content at the right times and moments that are built on triggers that you're going to see, you're going to see a loyalty. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things like, why do people love slot machines? Well, it's like, you know, you know, there's hope and variable reward. And so you just keep going yep. and, and part of our little rabbit brain can't kind of get out of that loop. And so I know it's, I, I, um, I greatly admire that you guys at Dopamine Labs have been looking at like both creating the stickiness, but also with the get space. You just need space.com. Yeah. Yeah. You just need space at sort of, we have this ethical responsibility to, to sort of admit to ourselves that we know how to get people to come back. And so what are we going to do with that and how, can we use that to better people's lives? And I think right now the predictive behavioral market <clears throat> is getting so exciting. You know, there's one of our advisors, um, Vivian Ming, 
did pioneering work looking at how to predict bipolar episodes by looking at the data coming from movement within one's phone. They were better able to predict bipolar episodes than, than clinicians were. So as this world of better and better knowledge about what, you know, when someone's going to be feeling sad, Alexa hearing tone of voice, um, you know, our heart rates entering a room, what are we going to do with that data? And I think marketing and advertising always is on the, the you know, the, the cutting edge of how to exploit that data. And I think the healthcare market is desperate enough. The insurance providers and our federal government are even more like eager to find solutions to reining in the spiraling cost of behavioral related illnesses that that is the market to benevolently exploit this data. And so my background in creating like consumer friendly apps um, and how I felt like, God, if I can, like I made mobile phone games for like the first NBA courtside live trackers, all the Star Wars mobile games. And I I love building prototypes Mm -hmm. was let's prototype out like iterative prototyping over the last couple of years. How can we use selfie video and content that feels like Snapchat, but create this this social stickiness of peer support in there and peer um, and like uh, software imprinting novelty on the nudge? And we just iterated a lot until we came to this, what we call now is like the spark engine, which is an, a, kind of a loop where someone comes in and they use uh, like a video-based motivational interview that asks them to talk about, like, I'll give a simple scenario. Like if you had, if, uh, if you were a recovering heroin addict mm-hmm. and there were certain places and times and people that you could identify as triggering your use, the software asks you to talk about those places and identify them. We'll take geolocation IDs, people's face IDs, and then literally ask them about scenarios. And they filmed themselves talking about this. We ask them to upload images of people they love. We give them um, clinician-based suggestions about coping strategies, but also really help them feel like they're choosing their coping strategies. And then this goes into the Spark engine that then sends out the video nudges at the locations where they need support, time of day, or if they're on social media and they encounter someone or a situation that they feel like triggers them. And are these triggers set by uh, the user that is trying to either build or break this habit? Or is it set by a recommendation engine, like a, an AI system or by a third yes. party um, operator? Mm-hmm. How does it typically work for a user? Ideally, it's, it's all of the above. At this point, we do it with the clinician have calendars and then location-based and user-based timers. But it, going forward and the, the design of the technology is to use AI to keep improving when do these nudges come. The critical part that we know is that they can't be predictable because then, you know, they're going to wear off. And essentially, we also make sure that those nudges never feel shaming. And in recovery, that's critical. Like once somebody sees a text message that says like time to take your methadone and they're like, you know, fuck you. I'm not going to take that. I'm never going to look at that text message again. Yep. So we keep that at like the very top of like, here is this delightful short video that shows you heroic slaying your 
your um, addiction and there's your like a cute picture of you when you were a kid and some funny filters and a friend's photo and um, a little quick snippet from someone that's in your support group uh, to make it feel like it's delightful. We have also a narrative string that goes through these to sort of help it make it feel like you're watching a little tiny bit of a soap opera and you are the star of that soap opera. And how are these delivered to the individuals that come via text message? They open up. Is it an in-app notification? Is it? At this point, it's not an app. It's a web-based experience and they get a te- yeah, text message notification or email. Okay. But it, as one of the issues like in attacking the healthcare market is like in a, I mean, we're very early stage is looking at the HIPAA issues and like not cashing things on the phone. And there's, there, we're trying to avoid taking the data that requires us to be HIPAA compliant. But as um, we're working with like, like the NIH on using a very limited segment of what we're doing, um, that has to be HIPAA compliant. Right. Good. And would you say that SmartSpark is better for people trying to build a habit, break a habit, both? Uh, what What are some of the maybe more common use cases that you see people that come onto the platform? So, yes, it's about like the critical phase when you're trying to change habits and change behaviors. So both negative and positive. Yes, exactly. So if I wanted to run, maybe run more and also stop smoking. Yes. I could take both of those and put them on. That's a, a great combo that you just brought up because the, the behavioral psychology, um, kind of ethos that we're going for is saying that behavior can change, but you cannot stop behavior without a planned changed behavior. So if you are quitting smoking, it's not just we're going to bombard you with negative imagery to make you not want to smoke, but we're going to help you identify what your coping strategies are and help make those look attractive. And there were some amazing studies around with food that have come out of like credible universities where they've shown like you show maggots and then French fries and sundaes and then flowers and carrots. And lo and behold, for hours afterwards, people are eating more healthy across the board without even realizing it. So we use these sort of implicit visual priming within to help people have negative associations with their the locations that they were typically using or the people that they hung out with that had a negative influence on them and try to also positively prime their coping strategies. Because it's the thought is that if, especially for addicts in recovery, the, the, the ability to summons willpower in moments of weakness is very low. Mm -hmm. But if you give someone their coping plan in that moment, in a way that they can kind of digest the same way they would digest a video clip on, on Instagram or Facebook that we can trigger those neural pathways bypassing sort of the prefrontal cortex needing to summons that thought pattern up. Like we're going to help like insert it. Amazing. Yeah. You you touched on something earlier and I I hate to kind of digress here, but you talked about, um, Fundraising through grants. Yes. So I know one thing that Esprit likes to do on the show is when we when she talks to startups, just kind of figure out what people are doing different that maybe most people don't know about. And so when I was on here, we talked about fundraising and kind of the traditional VC yeah. route and how you go out and network and meet VCs and raise money and term sheets. Can you maybe talk about what it is to raise money through a grant and yes. uh, what another startup that was trying to do that would experience or go through or how they would maybe start that process? 
Definitely. Well, I would say if you can raise money from private sources, do that because the grant, the grant process or, well, grants are free money. Yeah. Um, but it is a nightmare process. It is like going back to get your PhD in like bureaucracy because right. it, you need a, a P, like you need an academic as your PI and you need to do your corporation. I mean, it helps. You have to file a patent. You have to go through a lot of legal and corporate cost protection at the beginning, which can be helpful for raising money in any sector. Um, the reason that we went after grants is because or that we are going after grants is it's actually very hard for me to raise money with my team right now. I mean, like we're trying, we're, and this is like, this is me being on here is part of that. I mean, we haven't, I had, I, years ago I had a startup and we raised seed money and angel money in a series A and, and um, I had a co-founder who was brilliant at it. It takes such a skill to close the deal. We have all these interested angels I need them to sign the check. And it, and it, this is, I'm trying to step into that role. I've always been more product. I have a great co-founder who is just come on like full-time two months ago. And now she's like, okay, you know, let's go to this investor and that investor. And it's, if it works out, great. But I'm not, I am going to die for this company. So I am willing to do the grant writing process is many months long. And once you get it, it takes months to come in and then you have to publish and then you have to, then the first trough of money is smaller and then you can go for larger troughs. There's also foundational money that's really exciting, especially in the healthcare sector right now because there are um, foundations like Do Good Foundations that are interested in helping seed stage companies. The California Healthcare Innovation Fund is really exciting. Um, we're talking to them about doing pilots here in California. They usually look at later stage companies, companies that have already have they're already within hospital systems. So the healthcare market, like if I could take a step back, it's like a nightmare because everything takes longer. Contracts you do lock into two year contracts traditionally, but getting them is very slow. Like with UCLA to do a pilot there is a many, many month process. Whereas a private clinic, we're in there now just testing with users and we don't have to go through the same kind of structure. But yes, um, grants are a great resource if you're willing to do the sort of sit down, learn how you submit, go through the process. Most grants get rejected the first time and you have to hope that they get rejected well. And then you have to re resubmit kind of adjusting to all of the comments that you may get back and um, and just have like determination, an extra dose. Right. And lights that fire underneath you. Yeah. We're going to jump topics, but we're going to keep a similar uh, word here. Uh, Ariel went to Grant High School, which is uh, in the Valley, home of uh, Arizona basketball legend Gilbert Arenas. And since we're talking about grants, okay. uh, I'd like to hear about you growing up in Los Angeles. So you went to Grant. Right. Uh, and then did you stay and go to college here? In, no, right. In, yeah, I went to UC Santa Cruz. Okay, this so you stayed like, in California at I least. I stayed in California. And, and then after Santa, I graduated in basically in the Silicon Valley in the early 90s and thought I would go to grad school, but then became a designer and just had this really lovely career. I ended up as a creative director for a large um, telco conglomerate and moving to London and being there and like making 
pretty good money and living a fancy, wonderful life and then moved back to LA and worked here um, in my late 20s and early 30s. And that was very fun. And then uh, I see that, then I moved to the East Coast and to Argentina and came back to LA and the tech scene here now, I feel like it's extremely exciting and it's growing. It is the best it's ever been. Yes. It's very exciting to be be in tech in in Los Angeles at the moment. I, so where's the company based now? Where in, where in, in the city? In Culver City. In Culver City. Yeah. Are you over in kind of the, the tract area or we somewhere kind of different? in my house. Oh, you're in your house. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Right. Yeah. That's usually the best, best scenario. Yes. Now that you've been in LA for a while, are there any resources that you recommend or that you've come across your experience uh, launching and growing a company here? Yes. I think that all of the, the talent in terms of content are amazing and they exist nowhere else. So SmartSpark really couldn't have been done out of the Bay Area. And sometimes I think that's our competitive advantage is that I have an award-winning filmmaker who's set on how can we make stories that motivate people and chop them up into little segments and use user-generated content. I don't think you could find someone that could do that well in other markets. And I don't think you could find as many on-screen talent that are willing to work for free or for very limited amounts. And this is still a market, I think, that knows how to make content that other markets don't. I agree with you 100%. I think it's one of the things that we do best here in Los Angeles is we have, the downside is we don't have a lot of really good, like, hard tech that's here that kind of the Bay Area has. But if you talk about media or, um, you know, content creation and entertainment, there's no city better. We do some pretty good consumer package good and hardware here, but kind of that media side to the city is really pushed, I think, tech. It's brought in a lot of new money and it's allowed a lot of entrepreneurs to build companies that are not as technical as the ones in the Bay, but also kind of bring in the light and launch things like Snapchat, which I don't think you could have done in in another city. Right. Yeah. And I love Snapchat as the example of how kind of like sometimes not being a total like head in the sand, super enmeshed in the latest AI to trigger law kind of lets you remember what do people want to do and how do they feel when they use content or, you know, what's that user experience? Yeah, we, we, we can tend to overthink things. Uh, sometimes we want to see a dancing hot dog yes. or we want to see, you know, a vomiting unicorn. Those things right. bring, you know, they're surprising and they're delightful and they bring joy and our human brain craves that. Uh, so it's nice to see companies kind of go after that low-hanging fruit for our own kind of enjoyment. Yes. Nothing wrong with that. I love it. The vomiting unicorn. The vomiting Who doesn't love it, right? Built a publicly traded company on the back of a vomiting unicorn. Uh, can you talk about maybe the five to ten year plan of SmartSpark and what you see, where you see the company going, both from maybe team to the technology as well? Sure. Yeah, I think in the, our immediate future is that we are going to show clinical efficacy on a larger basis within the healthcare market. And then I think we'll face whether or not we are going to be part of existing platforms that are there for EMRs and outpatient care, um, or we build into the, directly to the provider. I think the in the healthcare market, acquisitions in the customer, they call it like end patient engagement. That's last year, there were over $3 billion in exits in that space alone. Not that we're building this to exit, but that's, you know, probably where we're going and we do want to make money. Um, so it's, you know, build this so that it's useful and then let it blossom with a huge HMO or existing um, provider to let it get to the masses. Um, if you had 
one ask of the community here in Los Angeles, what would it be? Keep doing things like this podcast. Let's make this community stronger. And we need to, yeah, collaborate and work together um, and accept like middle-aged ladies. <laughs> everyone's welcome here. Right. Everyone's welcome. I think we need to break the mold up of like the stereotype of of founders because there are lots of, I mean, I whatever. My grandma lived to be 103. So if 45 is old, I mean, what? Spring chicken. What, yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of life left. I think we need to capitalize on the intellectual property we have here in all different shapes and sizes and kind of probably try to get ourselves to be known for that. Yeah. I think you're right. That, you know, Los Angeles has always been such a great cultural melting pot. And I think we embrace that more than a lot of other cities do. Um, and you're seeing more, you know, people in color that are raising money or joining yes. BC and starting companies. And without a place like Los Angeles, I don't know if that would have been possible in some of the other bigger tech hubs. So it's, so yes. it's a pretty easy ask for people to, uh, to do. Has there been a LA tech company that you've come across that you've been impressed with or surprised you? Outside yeah. of dopamine Outside labs, of do- obviously. Oh, yeah. A lot of them. I, I mean, yeah, I have to. Dopamine labs, because I'm so obsessed with triggers, um, I really admire what you guys are doing. Um, you know, and, and God, so many, uh, com- like, so many comparatively now mm-hmm. that I like what Jason's done, I, I, in particular, because I don't think he had to build that company. Do you want to tell people that don't know a little bit more yes, about it? Yes. He's taking, you know, data to help make it uh, transparency within the employment market and what people are making. And I think he's built it out of a desire to like make things more transparent and empower people. And I admire that. And it's user-friendly and well-designed. It is. If you haven't used it, basically you can go on comparably and you can see um, both like equity amounts and salary amounts for various positions in tech. So it's kind of like LinkedIn meets Glassdoor meets this like gigantic salary database so if you feel like you have five years experience and you are maybe like the VP of sales for a startup and you feel like you're not being compensated, you can actually look and see all the data from all the startups in Los Angeles and in various cities and see how you stack up and compare and kind of evens the playing field and makes maybe negotiations a little bit better and easier going forward. So Jason's built a pretty good product there. He's a smart guy. Uh, where and how can people connect with you? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. Snapchat. Great. List them out. Yes. My Twitter feed is like a long list of everything related to nudging. So, and it's very easy to remember. It's at A-R-I, Ari. That's it? That's it. You got a three-letter Twitter handle? Three, one of my very good who friends. Who do you know at Twitter? Noah Glass, who is one of, is the the fourth Beatle or fifth Beatle or whatever. Look him up. I mean, he yeah. we were playing with when it was Twitter and I was like, oh, that sounds sexual, Noah. I was like, that sounds weird you sure Twitter and tweets? I don't know why it sounded too sexual, but it was, you know, he, they had created audio mm-hmm. and he was like, Oh, you know, I, the podcast directory came out. I mean, iTunes came out. And so it was like, Oh, now we've raised money and we're going to pivot to something else. And it was like the first days of playing with Twitter. Uh, we worked together at a crazy startup. Okay. So, yeah. And now you've got a great Twitter handle to uh, yes. remember by. Anything yeah. else? Any Facebook for either for you or the company? Well, the, one of the things that I have to do is that the, there is a public facing website um, that people are welcome to uh, ask me for an invitation to because the registration is hidden, but um, where you can experiment with it as a, as a lay person. Um, but they, that's www.smartspark.me. 
Perfect. Anything else you'd like to say before we sign off here? Any notes to the community, to people about behavior, any recommendations, books, podcasts, TV shows, anything you want to say? Okay. Try to limit the negative news you consume on a daily basis because it may not seem like it, but you're filling up your hard drive with junk and it gets really hard to maintain willpower with all the stuff that's going on around us. Any tips or tricks to uh, avoid that? Yeah. Well, get some space. <laughs> you just need space.com, obviously. <laughs> just turn off your phone. Yeah. Easiest and one wallow ever. in happy memories as much as possible. It's a lot harder to do than it sounds. That's a good one too. Surround yourself uh, with some good people, make some good memories. Yeah. Uh, well, that does it for us. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank this you. has been wonderful. And I hope everybody out there, if you are interested in behavioral technology, habits, behavior design, user experience, persuasive technology, um, check out smartspark.me. Follow Ariel on Twitter and uh, maybe you'll learn something. And that does it for us. Thank you. You're welcome. We Are LA Tech is independently funded by the community. We couldn't make this happen without your support. If you too want to contribute to We Are LA Tech and see us making the podcast, building the mobile apps, creating the events year after year, consider contributing at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash We Are LA Tech. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.